Welcome to another episode of Axe of Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, January is slowly crawling by, but not nearly fast enough for my liking. I know. I have just started playing Stardew Valley, so it's already oh. spring in that game, and I'm like, wait, can winter be over already? <laughs> yeah, why can't the seasons go as fast in, as they do in Stardew Valley? I mean, we probably all starve to death because crops don't grow, but... <laughs> I mean, it's only 20 day, 28 days in that, and it's just straight up seasons rather than going with uh, with actual days, so it's fine. Yeah, I would actually love winter if it was 20 days. Like, I'd be totally down with that. 20 days, it's over. You had fun. You yeah, toboggan. The trick with winter in your place is during the summer, you're walking around going, this is beautiful. I love this. It's so warm. And it's this mental thing where you just totally forget that winter is a thing. It tricks you. It does. You think it can never get cold again. And uh, it does. And then, and that's how you just keep winding up. It almost got me the last time I was back in Minnesota. I'm walking around in Minnehaha Park with near the falls and thinking, wow, this is amazing. People are biking around. I love this. And in the back of my mind, it's like, you idiot. It gets cold. <laughs> Run back to California while you still can. But warmth. It's okay. But uh, how far did you ever get in Stardew Valley? Oh, I did. I did several years at least. I did get quite far. Wow. Yeah, I'm currently, I I restarted on the Switch. I got pretty far on the PC version, but I never got out of the first year. So Uh pretty far is relative, I guess. I was upgrading things. I was finally at the point where I was about to really start make serious progress on Uh the PC version. And then I just stopped because I was afraid of getting too addicted to it. So you bought it on the Switch where you really get addicted to it. Well, over the Christmas holiday, I went to a farm and ah. so we had a farm fresh breakfast. Um, we milked some cows. We like saw the chickens and everything. It, it was a, it was a fun experience. And I thought, oh man, this really makes me want to play Stardew Valley. So I got it on my Switch uh, before I headed home, and I've just started kind of dipping a toe back into it. Uh, it's a little like Persona. Like everything's like Persona, I guess. But it's a little like Persona <laughs> in that I'm constantly getting a little bit of FOMO every time I'm playing the game. I'm like, am I? Am I properly, like, organizing everything? I, I need to min-max everything. I need to be properly organized. Oh, my God. No, you got to take it easy. Who you, but you, you do have to have, like, uh, someone to marry. Who are you going to marry? I think I'm going to marry Abigail. So, uh, the gal who hangs out in the graveyards and she has the purple hair. Uh, she's great. Who's the, the illegitimate daughter of the wizard? Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, spoiler alert. Well, it's not... That. It, it's not really like ever, it's not like a story thing. It's just something that's really strongly hinted at, like at certain um, points in the game, if you look for it. It's kind of fun to follow the trail. Yeah. Uh, Stardew Valley, I guess you wouldn't say it's quote unquote an RPG. Um, it's a farming simulator with heavy dating elements, I guess. But at the same time, it has such a strong RPG vibe to it because. Yes of that that sprite art, the heavy anime stylings and everything, uh, the the dating component, of course, which was taken from Harvest Moon. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's really nice. It's a really nice and extremely complex game. (laughs) Yeah, I keep thinking, okay, I'm going to download it for Switch, but I'm so afraid that if I do, I'll never play anything else. Yeah, uh, I think that's reasonable. But it's come for me where often I'll just be watching something on TV and mm-hmm. I'll just pull out my Switch and play a couple days in-game and do some chores or whatever. And then I'll just put my Switch down. And that's exactly how you should be playing Stardew Valley, yeah, in my view. Yeah, actually, uh, I was thinking of that, too, because I play a lot of Switch while my husband's watching TV. Uh, but right now, what I'm working through is Fantasy Star 4. Oh, right. Yeah. So how's the, so you, you finished Stand- Fantasy Star 1, 2, and 3 already? Dang. Hell no. No, I, I got quite far in Fantasy Star 1, but I decided, okay, you know what? I really want to play 4 again. So <laughs> so I bought the Genesis collection, and uh, I bought 4 along with it. Nice. How are you liking it? Oh, I, I love Fantasy Star 4. Uh, it, it can use some work, like uh, equipping characters is a real pain in the ass because it doesn't show you like who can equip what and how much you'll you'll uh, gain in terms of bonuses. But um, otherwise, it's just a, it's a really interesting game. And one thing I love about it is that you can go into any house and, you know, explore anything and you'll get some sort of like cute little quip from the characters like, oh, hey, this is a game gear, even though there's not a game gear anywhere like in, in this cu- in this cupboard you're looking at, but it's just kind of funny to see the text. Yeah. Uh, 
By the way, Fantasy Star 4 was on our top 25 RPG list. And speaking of the top 25 RPG list, we are going to continue with it this week, Nadia. It's very exciting. Yes. And it's a game that's very much in your wheelhouse. But first, uh, it's a very busy week on the site. As usual, we've got a lot of great stuff that you should go check out. Nadia, you wrote about how Red Dead Redemption 2 successfully uses an anti-Semitic trope Namely, yes. Harris Strauss's uh, debt collecting to deconstruct Arthur Morgan. You want to sum up that really quickly? Uh, well, Air Strauss in uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is, of course, the uh, loan shark in uh, the game. His whole job is to sign up poor farmers for loans that, you know, they usually have a very difficult time paying back. And sometimes the the debt collecting missions to collect on those loans can get very disturbing. Like, you wind up, one that I'm in particular remember is you wind up, like, punching a, a father with tuberculosis like half to death like in front of his son and it's like okay this is great I, I play video games to forget my troubles and this is going great uh so i kind of was a little bit worried about the fact that we have this money uh, uh money lender with a kind of a jewish surname running around uh making you do really horrible things but uh the more i, I play the game and to be honest with you i'm not finished yet so my as i said my opinions might be subject to change uh, the more I realize how effectively Rockstar used him as a way to deconstruct Arthur Morgan, who is, of course, like, not a fan of Strauss. Like, he just complains about him in his journal, says he's a horrible person, etc., etc. And you kind of get the feeling, or you actually see evidence that uh, Arthur is projecting his own fears and insecurities upon- about himself onto Strauss, which is a very easy thing to do when, like, you are someone who doesn't like yourself, and there's this weird foreign guy who just kind of over here in the corner like you know oh look at him he he loves money so much i'm not as bad as he is so uh it's a, it's a long article i enjoyed writing it uh do check it out if you have a moment yeah definitely go check it out uh, and i think you make a really good point about arthur morgan i think red dead redemption 2 does a really good job of making you uh, of conveying the fact that Ar- at base arthur morgan's a pretty decent guy Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, through fate, ended up in a bad lifestyle, and it's like he becomes a totally different person, especially when he's in the deck collecting missions. And you're probably right when he projects that anger and hatred onto Airstraus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I was laughing my ass off. I did the deck collecting uh, mission with the uh, the Undertaker, not the wrestler, the Apprentice Undertaker in uh, in uh, the the. Southern Town. I can't remember its name. Oh, the is that the one where you're standing guard while they're yeah. digging up uh, the corpse to get <laughs> the earrings guard. or whatever? Yes. Yeah, there's some good ones in there. I really like them. Yeah, like I like some of them are really disturbing, but uh, the there are a couple that are like just really hilarious. Like the first one I did was um, there are certain deck collecting missions where you don't feel bad for the person who you're collecting from because they're just assholes. Like the first one I did was uh, a guy who was just a, a spendthrift, just really clumsy with his money. He just like rides away as they'd approach him like you'll never catch me lone shark and you have to like lasso him and hog tie him and it's pretty funny yeah i love i love chasing and lassoing anybody there's also a bounty hunter mission where you manage to get them onto the ledge and then they're like haha you'll never catch me and they jump in the river and you're like oh man so you're riding along the river while they're going oh my god i'm gonna die oh no here come the rapids they're gonna break my bones ah <laughs> Oh, it's fun. It's a really depressing game, but it's really funny at points. Yeah, it's a lot funnier than GTA Five because it's. I mean, it can be ham-fisted at times, but it's not obnoxiously so. So it's a lot easier to chuckle at. Yeah, definitely. But it still has its moments, as I point out in my article. Of course, the big news, and this is semi-RPG related, is that Activision and Bungie are officially breaking up. I mean, this is fans are treating this as extremely good news, mm-hmm. I guess. I suppose people see Activision as a bit of an ogre, I suppose. But uh, what do you think about this, Nadia? Uh, well, someone who's not a, a big fan of Destiny one way or the other, I'm, I'm more intrigued than anything, like, just what's going to happen now. I actually haven't had time to read up on too many people's opinions about the issue. Like our resident uh, Destiny uh, expert is Doc, and I'm sure he has things to say, but I haven't checked out what he said yet. Yeah, I haven't checked out what Doc has had to say uh, lately either, but people keep referring obliquely to Activision's mistakes, which I expect would be, for example, the way that they've handled microtransactions Mm -hmm. or version-specific goodies and everything. And I think the hope is that Bungie is going to continue the path that they had with Forsaken and focus as hard as they can on the 
the hardcore. Right. Uh, as for as for Activision, I think they wanted something on the level of World of Warcraft, a, yes. a ten-year game that just is pulling in ungodly amounts of money. And I think the fact of the matter is that there just can't be another World of Warcraft. No, there really can't. And uh, you're right in, in what you say there. And I think that the whole attitude that people, that developers, especially AAA developers, have, like, hey, I want this this game to immediately be as you know on the level of World of Warcraft, like within a year or two, and that's just not going to happen. And things kind of get messy from there. Yeah, nobody can be the quote unquote WoW killer except Fortnite, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fortnite is the everything killer. Yeah. Except Minecraft. It's actually Minecraft, believe it or not, has consistently done better than Fortnite for forever now. Well, what do you think? Do you think that Bungie will continue on with Destiny 2 onto perpetuity? Or do you think that they will launch Destiny 3 with the next round of consoles? I could I definitely see um they're going to keep supporting Destiny 2, but they are uh I think they're gonna put most of their resources into the next Destiny game or Destiny like for la- lack of a better term. Uh, that's going on to the inevitably going on to the next consoles. I feel like Destiny Two just kind of had its time in the sun. I I, I was saying that Destiny Three feels inevitable, but yeah. Mike was like going, "Yeah, but it's going to cost a lot of money to make." And one of the biggest problems with Destiny One and Destiny Two is that they split the fan base by going to Destiny Two. Like plenty mm. of people went, ah, screw this, I had my fun with Destiny, I don't necessarily want to follow. Or they didn't play for as long as they did with Destiny because they got burned out. And right. I sort of feel like the only way that it really makes sense to do a Destiny 3 is if they do it at the start of the next round of consoles and they make it free-to-play. Oh, free-to-play now, there's controversy for you. Yeah, make it like Warframe. Monetize yeah. it similarly, uh, have like just constant rounds of new content with big uh, expansions and everything, and you will get a really loyal fan base who will follow that game unto the ends of the earth. And not only that, because the media is so used to covering, you know, Destiny, I feel like you're just going to always be in the headlines from that point on, and you could conceivably make Destiny into a thing that lasts for a very long time just don't call it destiny 3 call it like destiny infinite or something yeah i was gonna say uh they're probably benefit if they call it like something like destiny the next generation (laughs) destiny give us all your money (laughs) don't (laughs) Uh, like i'm just bling everywhere i don't know i don't know that was the bling noise i guess (laughs) some more big news that came out this week catherine officially released on pc again not an rpg but rpg adjacent because it was released it was the first hd game if you can believe this released by atlas and that was in 2011 and katie wrote about it and she was she said that it's kind of the first major games to take adulthood seriously did you ever get around to playing Catherine? uh no i did not um i sometimes look at that and i'm like i'd like to try that and i'm like um i don't know i think i'd rather play something else i'm always on the fence about it I always thought it was funny that when in Persona 3 Portable, uh, you actually run the, into the protagonist of from Catherine <laughs> drinking alone in a bar, and everybody assumed that they were going to be the protagonist of Persona 5. Nope. And that Persona 5 would be announced at any time, but nope, it was Catherine. They uh, both have excellent eyelashes, though. I also remember doing the demo for it when it was still being promoted, and uh, playing the minigame where you're being chased by a giant horrifying baby. <laughs> I wonder what that's a metaphor for. Yeah, that's for, I mean, subtle parental anxiety. Jeez, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that captures parental anxiety really well, don't you think? <laughs> that's why I don't have a kid. Hey, it's better than Heavy Rain, right? Oh, God. <laughs> that's the game where you press X to yell like Sean across Sean! the world, right? Yeah, definitely better. Still one of my all-time favorite videos of... They're doing the big exciting chase scene at the end of the game, and you can hear the guy yelling in the background, Sean! <laughs> I think I've seen that, because it glitches out and he yells yes. Sean through the whole game. That's uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's so good. Um, you took a, l- a fresh look at New Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe on the Switch. And yes, I asked, did. does it measure up to the classics? Well, does it? Spoiler alert. No. What? Aw, oh, man. A I guess very exciting uh, Burn answer. It doesn't, isn't worth playing. No, it's still a good game. Um, it is definitely one of the better 2D games, although I think uh, you will see some interesting criticism about the game now that a lot of other people have had a, a second look at it. Uh, I think Game Explain, our friends over there, uh, were not big, huge fans of it. 
I haven't I haven't watched their review yet, but I don't think they liked it very much. Um, really? But yeah. I, I will say that it's the best of the new Super Mario Brothers. It is games. definitely the best of the new Super Mario Brothers games, and yeah. um, I do still, even though I still feel like the, the series has come a long way since the DS iteration of the game. There's just a certain lack of innovation, like Nintendo's holding itself back, and that's it's disappointing because there are there are moments in Super Mario U Deluxe where you could see Nintendo actually had some like really clever fun idea like you know the van gogh background or like there's a ghost house where you're being closed in by like rats and and uh, booze and you have to like shake the the glowy yoshi to, to drive them back you know stuff like that is a lot of fun it's, it's still a, a really really well-built game uh level wise but when you think about all the crazy things mario 3 and mario world does um in particular it's like you know, the first Mario, the first level in, in Mario 3, what does it encourage you to do? It encourages you to go off the, the beaten path by grabbing the raccoon tail and flying up into the clouds and, hey, here's a one-up, good job. There's just not a whole lot of surprises like that going on in, in most of the new Super Mario Brothers games. I kind of look at new Super Mario Brothers and I think, man, would it kill you to be interesting? Because <laughs> while they're, Nintendo's just so conservative with them. They I, really are. I, New Super Mario Brothers 2 for the 3DS was okay and it went a little nuts with the coin collecting and everything, but I feel like Mario 3 and Mario World were both just much more interesting and bigger games. Uh, Mario New Super Mario Brothers is lacking this kind of sense of being epic, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, they're they're really straightforward. It feels like they are their roots are very much in the original mario mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. with kind of a stripped down version of the world from mario 3 and it doesn't hurt help that i hate the art style and really hate the music uh, the music i see i will defend part of the music like i i really don't like the fact the music hasn't changed across how many however many years it has been by now but i love the dancing animals like the, the uh-huh. enemies dance this to the music and i'm like ah oh, i love that my heart just sings out for that and finally, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 is apparently, it's going to have a post-launch epilogue, and it's going to be patched in after release, which, <sighs> on the one hand, whatever, it's only like a couple <laughs> days afterward in America, yeah. and most people won't, I, I don't even think, you literally cannot just binge the game and somehow finish it before this epilogue. Like, it's going to yeah, come, come out on. before you finish it, even if you binge this game. That said... If you live in, like, the mountains of Appalachia, sorry to any people from Appalachia who listen to this podcast, and for some reason you don't have the internet or something, and but maybe you do have a, a video game console, and you're kind of out of luck, right? Yeah, you really are. I think, unfortunately, we've been saying for ages and ages, hey, game developers, uh, a lot of people in flyover states do not have good internet. Some people in uh, states that do have the infrastructure, they still don't have good internet. And uh, it's just like, oh, well, too bad. You're going to have to download this 100 gig uh, game now because we say so. Although I do remember one time I was staying over at a friend's house and she lived in like the wilds of of Canada practically. And she, I watched her download Half-Life 2 on a dial-up. Oh my God. So it can be done. It took all night at least. When I was, I mentioned Stardew Valley earlier. So I was in Tahoe when I started downloading it. And I think it was at like 38 hours to download this <laughs> Jesus. ridiculously small game. And I was like going, thinking to myself, man, try to try imagining uh, downloading Red Dead Redemption 2 on this thing. I don't think it would ever actually happen. No. Um, it, I mean, I have a pretty good internet connection and it took me uh, the better part of a day to download RDR 2. Wow. Yeah. No, exactly. Me, me too, actually. Uh, and that was even with the disc. <laughs> I just plugged in the disc and it still took <laughs> half the day wow. to actually download uh, the majority of the content from that game. It's a huge yep. game. It would have yeah, been like bit. one of those old download uh, download tickers where it would initially start out and going, this download will take 99 years. <laughs> <laughs> the old the old Windows 95 ones. Yes, I remember those. And you'd just be like, surely not. And then it'd go, uh, actually, no, it'll take five minutes. And you're like, Dad, there we go. <laughs> Don't lift up the phone, Dad. You're going to disconnect my download. <laughs> As always, Axe of the Blood God is on all of the relevant podcasting platforms. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to leave us a review. We love hearing reviews. And if you want to comment on the podcast, leave a comment on the show notes. Send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Send us a tweet. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And 
usgamers at usgamernet, and we may read your feedback on the show. Okay, that is all of the stuff that is happening in the world of gaming and RPGs right now, so let's continue on, Nadia, into the next entry of our Top 25 RPG Countdown. All right, the next entry on our list is number eight, and see if you recognize this game. Yes, number eight on our list is definitely the best Dragon Quest game. I don't think there's any question. It's uh, Yuji Horii's favorite, and that is Dragon Quest V, uh, Hand of the Heavenly Bride, first released on the Super Famicom, I think in 1992? It, it was a while ago, right? Nadia? It was a while ago, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, Nadia, you're the Dragon Quest fan here. I mean, yes. could you just summarize why it's so great? Um, it has... Uh, Dragon Quest V is definitely one of the best ones. Uh, I'm still trying to decide if it's my favorite, but it, it's certainly up there. It is, it is a very epic-feeling game, for lack of a better term, and, and please pardon my cliché. And one very of the reasons epic. for... Yeah, and one of the reasons for that is because you start the game as a child, adventuring with your father, uh, then you become an adult uh, after a lot of hardships, and then you you're, you have kids, and they adventure alongside you, along with your, your wife and your pet saber cat and whatever monsters you, you recruit along the way. It's just, it's a, it's a lot of fun to just kind of sit through it and play it, and it really does have, like, a very RPG feel to it, for lack of a better term. I think that... Uh, it, uh, I don't know if it purposely built off Fantasy Star 3, which kind of has the same idea going on where you play as someone who has kids and they take over for you, but it definitely feels a lot more flushed out in that regard. Yeah, I first played it in 2009, I think. Mm-hmm. And 2009, 2010, thereabouts, when it came out on the new Nintendo DS and the Nintendo DS version contained quite a few updates over yes. the original Super Famicom version, including the ability to have four members in your party instead of three, uh, new love interests. Uh, uh, they fleshed out the role of one of the main villains who is extremely popular but also extremely hated. And, yeah, and I thought it was kind of funny when I went and saw the preview for Dragon Age 2 and I talked to Mike Laidlaw and he was like oh yeah this game takes place over 10 years course of 10 years and this we think this is really awesome remarkable and like really lends this game an epic feel and I was like yeah guess who did it Dragon <laughs> Quest 5 first Dragon Quest 5 did it first in 92 1992 I was actually uh, I think one thing that really is sad is we missed out on that uh, Americans missed out on that uh, in in '92 because by then I don't think Enix had any sort of tra- any sort of localization team anymore who could do that. Yeah, what a bummer. It was. Yeah, we missed out on it also because Dragon Warrior just wasn't that successful over here in the U.S. Uh, Dragon Warrior one, two, three, I think four came out here as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, and they just didn't really strike a chord with console players who grew up playing games like Mario and Contra and stuff like that. So it, it was a little too complicated, a little too dense, too much mm-hmm. text, etc. Mm-hmm. And so when DQ5 came out on the Super Nintendo, it just wasn't a... Uh, nobody was willing to go to bat for it. How's that? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And that's a shame because it really does belong alongside like Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy IV. Yeah, well, it's certainly one of the top 10 RPGs of all time, which is why we have it in the top 10 of our top 25 RPG list. Hey, hey. And I think that there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, it's certainly my dra- favorite Dragon Quest. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. One is, as you already mentioned, the epic scope. Um, mm-hmm. I really love the way that your main character of starts a family, like starts as a kid and then eventually starts a family and has a wife and everything. Uh, has a pet, pet saber cat. Yeah, it's adorable. <laughs> little saber kitten. Wonderful cast, um, and it's extremely dark. Often, yes. where yes. there are multiple moments where you're going, "What the f?" Is one of the most vi- uh, one of the most famous villains in Dragon Quest history. I, I think the one that is right up there with Suikoden 2's villain in my mind. The one who 
puts you to work in the, the mines as a slave through your entirety of your childhood, kills your yeah. father right in front of you and more and other things. It, it's insane. It, it, he, it's funny because he is a bastard, but I'm totally blanking on his name. I'm not good with remembering Dragon Quest. Yeah, it's Bishop Laja. Yes, that's it. Bishop Laja, who gets a lot of setup in the original Super Nintendo game, but doesn't really come to much and gets <clears> a much expanded role in the PlayStation 2 remake that that came out and subsequently the DS version. Another thing that I really like about Dragon Quest V is that it had the, the monster menagerie. Yes, yes. Um, I can't remember if, for certain, if collecting monsters in Pokemon, in Dragon Quest V directly inspired Pokemon, but I thought I heard or read somewhere that it was definitely a factor, an inspiration. Yeah, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I know that the folks behind Pokemon have always maintained that it was mostly an ode to the bug collecting of back in yes. the day. But monster hunt collecting was certainly a thing. And Dragon Quest V was, was well before um, Final Fantasy, or, sorry, not Final Fantasy, uh, Pokemon and other games like that yeah, yeah. in that regard. But. Nadia, what was the first time you played Dragon Quest V, and what did you think of it at that time? Uh, it's funny. I can't remember what year it was, but I did play it um, like a translated ROM of it, because uh, there was there is or there was a fan translation, and I really wanted to play it. So I did play it on the SNES slash Super Famicom, and uh, I was I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was, as I said, I was kind of blown away by the scope of it, even you know, finally getting to play it. I think it was in 2003, 2004, something like that. And I think it really shines on the the DS where it has, like, of course, the better graphics, the better sound, uh, more content, and it has that really amazing Dragon Quest localization that they keep, that they do. And I just love... That's one of the first, actually, I think, that people uh, played this game and said, what the hell is with this localization team? And I'm like, they're brilliant. Can't you see? <laughs> they were having a lot of fun with it. They were. They were, and uh, I, I, I love the, some of the moments in that game, because as you say, there are some really dark moments. Uh, there's one there's one uh, part in particular that I remember when you are a kid, and this is shortly before your father dies and you're carried off to be a slave. You actually meet your older self uh, through some time travel trickery, and you don't know who he is. You just know he looks exactly like you, and you don't know why, but you just talk to this guy, and he says to you, no matter what happens, just, you know, hold in there, keep your keep your head up and always always hang on. And then he says, and take care of that father of yours. And when I was replaying the game... He seems like a pretty game, good guy. Yeah, yeah. When I replayed the game and I saw that line, I'm like, oh, oh, Square Enix, why would you even do that to me? It should be noted that Dragon Quest V was the last in the series developed by Chunsoft, which uh, worked on the first five games uh, in the series. And uh, they really go at it with Dragon Quest V. It feels like they kind of dump the kitchen sink in there with a lot mm -hmm. of their different ideas, part of the cliche. Uh, I mean, aside from the monster taming, the uh, the actual dungeons are a lot more elaborate than in previous yes. games. You have multi-level dungeons. A lot of the dungeon tropes that would uh, start to appear in other RPGs appear for the first time here. Uh, including like the familiar kind of ice dungeons where you're figuring mm -hmm. out how to move the puzzles, which I think was also something that might have been in uh, A Link to the Past as well, but they're fairly contemporaneous. So this is yeah. when developers were having a lot more fun with the Super Nintendo's various capabilities. Yeah, and as you say, the um, that was really Dragon Quest's first uh, real exploration with, with themed dungeons like that because uh, dungeons uh, 1, 2, 3, and 4 were a little more you know, kind of like, here's a cavern, here's a castle, but uh, Dragon Quest V, the first ca the first dungeon you go through is actually like a kind of a, definitely doesn't have that conventional corridor-like design you see in the NES games. You really do feel like you're going through an actual castle and, you know, exploring the history of the, the king and the queen who lived there. And it really, it really takes you on an interesting journey for your first dungeon in the game. Yeah, I feel like a lot of RPGs on the Super Nintendo had a lot more fun with the dungeons. Uh, Final Fantasy VI was another case of this. Mm -hmm. And it was just a shame that uh, the subsequent games that came out on other systems became glorified box-moving puzzles or corridors. <laughs> Go down this corridor. Yeah, I mean, that's what Final Fantasy VII was for the most part. Yeah, it, well, that, that was go down a fancy corridor. 
Yeah. Or in Final Fantasy X, put the orbs in the thing and push the thing, and then you're in the thing. Done. <laughs> the thing is done. The thing is done. I mean, it's not it's not that exciting, whereas I feel like Dragon Quest V's dungeons were fairly involved in terms of the actual puzzle solving and the battles mm-hmm. and everything. So. Uh, a lot of people would say that Dragon Quest Four maybe was a bit better balanced than Dragon Quest V, but there are a lot more options in Dragon Quest V, um, especially when it comes to the monsters. Uh, what kind of monster? Who did you like to have in your party? Out of curiosity, did you use a lot of monsters, or did you mostly stick to actual party members? Uh, the first couple of times I played through the game, I actually I, I went kind of crazy recruiting, and uh, I always liked uh, the dragon uh, enemies, of course, but I, I found that the the original translation called it a fire pup. I can't remember what they called it in the in the real translation, but there's like kind of this little baby dragon who's really good because it can breathe fire and hit all the enemies. Uh, but as I played um, later, I tended to stick to uh, just myself, my kids, uh, my, maybe my wife, and of course Saber, the Saber Cat. Although I did try to recruit a great dragon and I never could do it. Yeah. I, I think that you can actually do pretty well just having like a heal slime or something in your party. Yeah, uh, yeah. Healing up your party, keeping you alive, just another healer is generally best. Yeah, even if you just keep them in the like a cure slime or a king cure slime in your in your wagon, will will do wonders. Uh, Dragon Quest V, for the most part, doesn't change up the formula when it comes to battling that much, but it's okay because battles are pretty much perfect in Dragon Quest and always have been. <laughs> Yeah, and um, frankly, Dragon Quest V, the amount of variety you get with the enemies, uh, sorry, with the monsters you can recruit, is pretty impressive for the time, and it still is impressive. Yeah, uh, the thing that's great about Dragon Quest V, and I I think it hits on what a great JRPG battle system should look like, which is you should be able to get through normal encounters really quickly using a particular setup that you come up with, Uh, it should have a little, at least a little bit of attrition, so you can't just spam things, or maybe not. Yeah, but um, and then finally, but when you fight a boss, it should require much more complicated uh, tactics, and that's exactly yes. what happens in Dragon Quest V. It, it's not as hard as some other the Dragon Quest games, but it can be pretty tough. Yeah, and of course, when you uh, get to the uh, iconic fight. Uh, where your, your father's trying to protect you, you're trying to protect him, and you know you're all just getting your sh- the shit kicked out of you by this horse. <laughs> yeah. One of the basics of Dragon Quest is that it's a game that puts a, a large premium on buffs and everything, uh, mm-hmm. buffing up your party, debuffing the enemy. It's a little bit like Persona in that regard, uh, using multi-enemy attacks versus single attacks that are maybe more powerful. Uh, characters aren't that customizable, but they all have their individual strengths. So a lot of the strength of the game is figuring out who you want in your party at any given time. And of course, the monsters dramatically increase your options uh, in that regard. Uh, So it feels like there are, even though it's relatively simple by maybe larger standards, uh, it just goes to show what a rock-solid foundation paired with a whole lot of choices uh, can can carry an RPG. Yeah, and uh, another little bit of customization that you can indulge in, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, depending on whom you marry, your wife and your kids will either be more physically oriented in terms of battle or magically oriented. Mm. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you hi- if you marry Bianca, I assume they're more physically oriented? Yeah, yes. I almost I don't think I've ever married anyone except Bianca, to be honest with you. I don't think most people have. <laughs> there was a good <laughs> urban legend going around, apparently, through an FAQ, that if you married the other gal, it was her name Nina, I think it was? Something with an N. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, poor girl. That if you married her, Bianca would basically, Bianca's father would die of despair, and that Bianca oh, no. would be a barmaid forever, and, like, you would basically ruin her life. <laughs> That and is <laughs> somebody finally dispelled that uh, that Good. rumor and said, "No, that's not what happens to Bianca." Yeah, she there's actually she has a suitor who likes her, and I, I think she just marries him. The prince, right? No, that was um, that was someone else. There's just okay. some guy in her town who likes her, and like uh, they eventually get married. Yeah, we were talking last week about The Witcher Three and how I really like how the the romance resolves actually really early, and mm-hmm. so it gives it plenty of room to kind of breathe, to build some of the tension with the other 
competitor in the relationship, I suppose, uh, to make you feel like you're actually in a relationship with this, whichever character you end up choosing. And final, and Dragon Quest V does the same thing. I think it's one of the best examples of doing a relationship right in a game. Yes. Because, yes. yeah, go ahead, Nadia. Uh, I, I was just remembering how you you do have the rivals that you have to compete against. Uh, your uh, the the father who sets up the the the, the marriage, who, who kind of intends for you to marry uh, the the purple haired girl who we can't remember the name of. <laughs> Nina. Nina. Let's call her Must, Nina. I'm let's sorry. call Nina. Uh, he wants you to retrieve like some kind of rings and. Um, Basically, you have to prove yourself, and, and you just have to go through this rigmarole, which is it's all very much a lot of fun. But as you already stated, um, yes, the 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 romance happens, say about halfway through the game, so you have plenty of time to really kind of develop your relationship with the character, and you know the other characters who are rejected, quote unquote, just kind of they they do their own thing, and they're perfectly happy the way that the way their lives turn out. Ex- except, I guess, Deborah, who is the addition for uh, the DS version of the game, she who is evil. She's totally evil. I'm but hilarious. She's great. She just and basically you... yells at you the all the time. Yeah, she's nice to the kids at least. So I guess that's what that's counts. Nice. But I guess if you're going to marry her, I mean, she she makes it very clear like she's not going to like be your your little doll or anything like that. So uh, you get what you sign up for. And yeah, she is definitely an interesting character. By the way, the correct answer for all the people screaming at their radio <laughs> right now is Nira. Nira. Okay, that's right. Not... She was very nice. Yeah, I don't remember her at all. She had purple hair. That's all I remember. Way back in the day, back on the grind over at One Up, when I did my when I was playing DQ Five for the first time for the monthly grind, I said that DQ Fives. Uh, I I married. I wrote a post titled "I Married Bianca," and <laughs> I mean the game basically tells you marry Bianca. That is the canonical choice. She was your childhood friend. You explored the haunted house together, remember? It's the correct choice. You had you the saber cat, saber cat cub. together. It is destiny. Yes. And I just kind of like that you can go, nah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I want to marry no, the other gal. I'm going to marry the other gal who's going to step on me. I mean, could I mean they could have totally been like, ah, I choose the other gal, but thou must. But thou must. But thou must. Yeah. The communist choice, as it's called. And I, I also love that they trolled you by putting Deborah in there. That's hilarious. <laughs> Yes. And I think when you ask, like, you know, to, to marry her, she's like, are you having a laugh? She just has, she's just like stunned that you would even ask her. Yeah. And then she, I think that's an amazing way to play the game is choosing Deborah. I don't know what her strengths are in terms of like uh, fighting. I don't know if she's a magic user or a. a no a idea. Because I married Bianca because that was the natural, it, it was the choice that the game was pushing me toward hard. Yeah. Yeah. But in, okay. I am not the type to believe that getting married and having kids is the optimal path through life, and that's the only path through life, um, right? For obvious reasons. Uh, but all that said, it feels like it ties everything together really nicely, right? And for a Super Nintendo game at this time, this was actually really remarkable. Of yeah, you start out as a kid, you go through a lot of really tough times. Now you're an adult. You meet a gal that you were childhood friends with. You end up like getting married. You have a couple kids and the kids are in your party now and they're fighting alongside you. And by the end, it feels like this multi-generational battle against- Which it is, yeah. Yeah, and it just really does a terrific job of building up to that final fight, which incidentally is actually pretty easy. Yeah, it kind of like goes over pretty quickly, but um, it does at least give you the feeling that, uh, I mean, just in, for anyone who doesn't know, the game starts with you traveling with your father looking for your mother who was kidnapped, I think, by demons. And of course, you don't find her when you're a kid. You have to go through, you have to grow up, basically. You have to have your kids. You have to You have to mature for a generation before you have a chance of rescuing her. And that really gives the game a really nice, solid, epic feel instead of the... It doesn't feel like an an adventure that's over in an afternoon. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also like that the game doesn't hold your hand, uh, that when you're in the open world, you're just kind of encouraged to explore and walk around the map and see what you can find. And it's like, oh, I haven't been here before. I guess I will Mm -hmm. go here. It, It trusts the player in a way that maybe a lot of games today don't. 
Yeah, yeah. Dragon Quest was always pretty good for that. Uh, Dragon Quest Three. You can pretty much go anywhere on the map、uh, from the start. Maybe not everywhere, but you have a lot of the map open to you from the start, and no real solid directions on what to do beyond some suggestions. And if you go a little bit out of bounds and get your ass kicked, that's your own fault. Because as everyone who plays Dragon Quest knows, you don't go over the bridge until you're damn ready. So you're the Dragon Quest fan. I personally, Nadia, have never been able to recapture the magic of Dragon Quest V. Maybe it was because、mm-hmm. it was my first time. But I, I think it's a lot of things. Actually, I, I think the multi generational thing just really worked for me. I I actually I thought the pacing was really good. Like people yeah, go, oh, it starts out really slowly. I'm like, I didn't think so. I I really loved、uh, being the kid fighting under like with your dad and being introduced to the world and everything. And it when the first act ends, it it's a huge emotional sucker punch and everything.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, it feels like other if, if Dragon Quest V is slow, other games start in the series start even more slowly.、Uh, DQ Six is a much bigger game, but it's not as tight from a, a mechanical standpoint of Dragon Quest V,、um, and、yeah. of course doesn't have the monsters that you can recruit, even though it doesn't have the classes.、Um, I, I'm going to reserve judgment on DQ Eleven. DQ Nine is totally its own animal, and I adore it. And it's actually、mm-hmm. my second favorite Dragon Quest. But it's a totally different animal. It's like almost it's borderline Destiny in Dragon Quest World Land. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it.、Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's、uh, Dragon Quest Five. I still don't know if it's my favorite, my absolute favorite, but it, it is certainly up there. I still feel like maybe Dragon Quest Eleven just barely edges it because it, it, I just really like the story and the characters that much.、Uh, but it's.、Um, Uh, it's one of those games where if it's、uh, released on the Switch or even the 3DS,、uh, I'll pick it up in two seconds and play it yet again. I actually bought the mobile version of the game. I have that. I played it. You know, I've been thinking about that actually.、Uh, I was thinking about picking up on the iPad. Do you think that's a good way to pick it up, or should people pick up the DS version instead?、Uh, I would say the DS version, just because it's a little easier to play. What the、mm. mobile version does is it. Kind of makes a big ass screen out of the two split screens, and it looks a little bit ugly, to be honest with you. But it plays fine. Yeah, it just feels like something that I could have on my tablet, you know? Exactly. Like it's it's very much one of those games where, you know, you don't want to dig out your DS, you don't want to dig out your cartridge. So you know, here it's on my tablet. I have it right here. I'll play it. Like is very handy in that regard. It's also a menu based game. So. Hmm. Hmm. And then when you look at the other the other game,、uh, how do you think it compares to Dragon Quest Four? Uh, honestly, you know it's funny. Dragon Quest Four is just—I I don't hate it by any regards. I, I like it very much. I just—it does not capture me the way that a lot. Of, it captures a lot of people in a way. It feels almost like a, a discount Dragon Quest Five because, yeah, I'm going to get hell. Shivam's listening to this. He's going to be mad. Oh, I'm I'm dead. Sorry, we're not friends anymore. I guess. But、uh, the thing that makes me say that is because. In Dragon Quest IV, you see the roots of that monster recruitment.、Uh, one of the first heroes in the game can recruit a heel slime who fights alongside you. And there are other instances where you pick up a monster here or there. But I just, when I play Dragon Quest IV, I just think about, oh, you know what? I really wish I was playing Dragon Quest V and just recruiting all the monsters. So maybe it's just my fault. Yeah, it is your fault, Nadia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I blame myself.、Uh, maybe it's a little more split up because it has all of the different chapters,、uh, as、yeah. opposed to focusing, at having that tight focus of Dragon Quest Five. Yeah, I definitely like the focus of Five a little bit better versus the chapters of Four. Yeah, and I already kind of talked. I actually reviewed the Dragon Quest Six release on the、uh, the DS, and I think I ended up giving it a B. And Parrish like didn't speak to me for a month. <laughs> <laughs> He was like so mad at me. I was like, "Oh, look, look! I just finished playing Dragon Quest V, my first ever Dragon Quest at the time, and it was a transcendent experience for me." And so, the, be- the it- best part about that is, I know you're not being sarcastic. I know Pyrus probably didn't talk to you for a month. <laughs> he was kind of mad, actually. Yeah, <laughs> he was like,、um, he he said that in his very dry, like, "Ugh, Catherine, we we can't be friends anymore." But then, like, I think he was. <laughs> I think he was、uh, secretly resenting me for giving me that Dragon Quest Six a bad score because Dragon. I mean, it is a classic review. It is a classic game, and maybe, maybe it was unfair to com-、uh, compare it to an equally classic RPG in that regard. But what can I say? Like DQ Five is a tighter, better game. 
Yeah, um, the interesting thing about six, um, you're right. I'm not a humongous fan of six myself. I will take four and five over six any day of the week. But uh, the, the thing that makes six interesting is it was the first Dragon Quest game to be animated on the SNES. And I think probably a lot of people remember it fondly for that, at least in Japan. That's the thing, though. Like, when it was on the SNES, it was gorgeous compared to Dragon Quest V. It was a huge leap up. But on the DS, it had the same graphics as DQ5. And so stripped of of its graphical advantage, which I wrote about in my review, it just isn't... uh, Maybe its flaws are laid bare a little bit more. Yeah, I think that might be the, 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 uh, the case, because I don't know how much... Re- how many resources went into animating the monsters versus, you know, developing the story. But I just feel like Dragon Quest VI, uh, the story didn't grab me nearly as much in the way that five did. Yeah. So when I look back on Dragon Quest V, to me, it's just the perfect Dragon Quest. And, I mean, they could have just ended the series there. I mean, yeah, you can keep telling new stories and everything. And I know that Dragon Quest Eleven is a wonderful tribute to the entire series. And by the way, I don't want them to stop making Dragon Quests. I'm ha- I'm ready for Dragon Quest Twelve whenever it comes out. Uh, but I play Dragon Quest Five, and I don't know that the series has evolved appreciably since then. Uh, it's gotten bigger. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't really needed to. I would say if it took another evolutionary leap, that would be with Eight. I mean, is Eight an, an evolutionary leap? It has better graphics. It has better graphics. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Just kind of, it's just a feeling I have in terms of the, I guess the 3D open world is a big step up for me. It doesn't, uh, especially after seven was such a, a disappointment. A lot of the stuff that was so good in DQ five never appeared in uh, any subsequent games, including the yeah. uh, the monster the monster yeah, collection I do agree with aspect, that. and that always bummed me out a little bit. I mean, maybe you can't out monster collect pokemon and shimagami tensei so why even try but on the flip side dragon quest has this amazing collection of monsters it was one of the inaugural games to truly have an amazing uh menagerie so it feels like a missed opportunity for me that like dragon quest really dragon quest 5 in particular really capitalized and i mean you you never end up marrying anybody in later games right no, and that that is. Uh, wait, let me think. Um, off the top of my head, I, I would say no. Well, actually, no. I'm sorry. Uh, can I give you a Dragon Quest Eleven spoiler? <laughs> oh, so you do end up marrying somebody if you want to. Oh, um, interesting. Okay, so we won't go any further than that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I'm sure that's a tribute back to Dragon Quest Five. It almost certainly is, um, but you're you're right. I would, and that's one thing I mentioned in my Dragon Quest Eleven review. I would love to see the monster hunting make a return. I would love to see another story where you, you get married and you go on an adventure with your your spouse and your kids if you have any. You know what I mean? I, w- I would love to see that. That's kind of the curse of the series. It's rigidly traditional. Mm-hmm. So, on the one hand, it's timeless. You go back to a previous Dragon Quest game and you play it, and you know exactly what to expect. And you go, this holds up extremely well. Uh, the mecha- they, they perfected the mechanics so long ago. And yeah. the storytelling is really, really good. And always a lot deeper than it looks. Initially, on the face of it, it looks like your typical hero adventure game. But often it uses the time to tell some really dark stories within that framework. Uh, Dragon Quest V, I think, is the champion of that. And yeah. But the flip side of that is the series never truly feels that different. Like when I look mm-hmm. at Persona 4 and then Persona 5, I'm like, I see giant differences despite having relatively similar frameworks. Or if I look at Final Fantasy, maybe people could argue that it evolved for the worse, but <laughs> you can see clear eras with the series. Yes. Uh, I yeah, would say the riskiest, evolution. the biggest risk they ever took in Dragon Quest was Dragon Quest Nine. Yeah, that was, and well, look how Japan nearly rioted over over that. Like I know, no, you're so, not allowed to take risks with Dragon Quest. You you're really not, not f up Dragon Quest. <laughs> no, that's a that's a bad way to go. Last question for Dragon Quest Five, Nadia. Dragon Quest is especially Dragon Quest Five. I think is fairly famous for its kind of little vignettes and side stories, side quests. This this one had some really good ones. Well, what are some of your favorites from Dragon Quest Five? Oh, uh, I'm trying to remember some of them because it's been uh, it's been a little while since I played the game. But uh, there are there are certain little moments that stand out. Like we've talked about the you know kind of when we when I met my myself in uh, <laughs> in my hometown and uh, kind of hinted that my father was about to die. That was that was a hell of a thing to happen. 
Um, it's funny. I remember one part I remember very well and kind of liked was uh, Bianca was traveling with me and uh, she's complaining about how sick she feels. And I'm like, oh, well, I know who's pregnant. And <laughs> sure enough, not only does she fall pregnant, but you go out on a quest and she literally gives back when you she literally gives birth and you come back. I'm like, holy hell, that was <laughs> that was the quickest nine months in the world. Yeah, no, because you're just kind of walking with her, right? Yeah. You're just walking like, with her. And she's like, I don't feel so good. And then, boom, pregnant. <laughs> and then she falls down. It's like, oh. I mean, you had to convey the passage of time some way. I'm, I mean, you are walking for a long time, right? You are, but I just love the fact that you go on one quest and you come back and it's like, hey, guess who has twins? It's you. Surprise. Oh, Surprise. and then, of course, you get turned to stone. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, 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 fuck. Yeah, that's Have heartbreaking. Have you watched the passage of the years? Like time. While you're a stone you pl- statue. That's one of the great moments in, in RPG history, in my view. Oh, uh, you're watching, like, some other guy raise his kid, and then he goes through, like, this whole Job sort of scenario where he loses everything, and he blames, basically, he destroys you as a statue because he blames you, he considers you're, like, cursed or something like that. It's just... Oh, there's just so many good little moments in that game in terms of story, even though it's really not a hugely story-focused game the way Final Fantasy VI is. Did you ever hang out in the casino? I am... I. It's funny. I used to hang out in the casino in Dragon Quest Three so much, and I did actually did a lot of uh, slime quests in Dragon Quest XI's casino, but I didn't really hang out in Five very much. All right, Nadia, let's wrap up. Dragon Quest Five. final thoughts. I mean, I feel like we've already kind of summarized a lot of what Dragon Quest V does so well. Uh, It's a really tight game. Uh, The story is outstanding and has some of the most memorable moments in the entire series, one of the best villains. And uh, like the generational, uh, the generation spanning aspect just really makes it stand out and be special among its peers. I, I think that it's the best in the series, bar none, and, I mean, Dragon Quest is a classic. It has to be on this list somewhere. And I can yeah. think of no better RPG than to put a, the, on there than Dragon Quest V. Plus, it has, for my money, the best box art in the series. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite box arts of all time. Is that the one where the heroes was kind of standing surrounded by, like, a million animals? Like, he's uh, St. Francis? <laughs> yeah, he's standing there with uh, the Saber Cub and uh, Bianca. And yes, a bunch of other yes. animals and everything. Yeah, and and the slime, of course. Uh, that was the uh, one that I bought just so that I could have it on my shelf. That's, yeah, you're right. That is actually, that's some of Toriyama's best work, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dragon Quest V goes into number eight position on our top 25 RPG list. What do you think? Do you like Dragon Quest V? Do you not like Dragon Quest V? Send us a note, cat.bailey at usgamer.net, or leave a message on the show notes on the website or send me a dm at the underscore cap my dms are open okay let's go on to the mailbag okay nadia last week we previewed the upcoming year in 2019 for rpgs talking about all the rpgs that we're most excited about plus we had five big questions about the upcoming year if you haven't heard that one you should go listen to it uh rider kicker says for the weekend i was sick in bed so i decided to play the newly patched uh game for the nes game super robot wars ex see i love this Uh This i love our commenters because like they're not responding to that they're going to talk about super robot wars which by the way (laughs) a new trailer for super robot wars t came out uh as of the recording of this podcast nadia I might oh get it. I think I'm going to get it. No, it's of not of course. I skipped X. Oh, well, pardon. <laughs> I skipped X because I was still burned out on V. And because none of the series in X really stood out to me all that much. But And, and, and this one's T? Are they going T. backwards? In the, I mean, in the no, alphabet? they're just picking letters of the alphabet. Um, I think they've had L, K, W, X, D, A... They've had a lot at this point, <laughs> so... When it gets to Z, that's it, series is done. But not all of them yet. Yeah, they haven't done, like, C or E. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> this sounded like a, a friggin' uh, episode of Wheel of Fortune. They've done Z. Oh, okay, so they've done Z. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna get this one because it has Cowboy Bebop, and it also okay, has... Yes. So Cowboy Bebop, Harlock, May, uh, Magic Knight, Ray Earth... Uh, G Gundam, 
and uh, a couple others that I haven't seen in quite a while. Uh, Gao Gaigar, for example. Um, so I'm like, oh, hey, man, yeah, okay. There are a lot of like good series coming back in this one. So I think I'm going to pick it up. And also it's going to be on the Switch. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good selling point right there. Yeah, being on the Switch is a huge one for me because it means that, I mean, first of all, the, I can't go back to the Vita anymore. The screen's just too small compared to my Switch. I need I, yes. I need the big screen. And then also uh, being able to plug it into my Switch and dock it, uh, huge, huge thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love it. Because if I'm just like, eh, I feel like playing some SRW, I can just plug it into my dock. And uh, if you want to play it, that game, it is good to play it on a TV sometimes. But Okay, so anyway, continuing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ryder Kicker says, Cat is right in her comments about how the series got so much easier in the past quarter century since it started. There are no concentrate spells, and HP healing is needed in abundance. There certainly isn't any special maneuvers the units can perform, and skills don't show up until the PlayStation game with F. Uh, evasion is highly needed for real robots, but every battle is literally a life or death struggle, as even the mighty Mazinger Z can be shot down with beam weaponry. I have forced Christina from 0080 to be my ace, considering she has access to the lucky spell, and she easily skirts past my longest, strongest units. Anyway, for 2019, I can only hope the RPGs are plentiful for the system of our choosing, and we may each carve out a little bit of time. He's not wrong. Uh, Super Robot Wars was extremely difficult until just recently, until... Until around the time that the GBA games started coming out, actually. Uh, ah, filthy casuals. Uh, or maybe Alpha. Like, once Alpha and Alpha Gaiden came out, they weren't easy, but they also weren't balls hard like some of the older games. Mm-hmm. Um, Super Robot Wars Alpha, if you ever go back and play that, I think there was a translation patch released for it just recently. That game kicked my ass three ways from Sunday. I mean, <laughs> oh my god. What was that for? It was for the PSP. was a portable. It was a remake of ah. a GBA version of it. And a portable, uh, it also has G Gundam <laughs> as it happens. But it's a game where, like, if you've got the little Gundams, they have a they have a relatively high chance to hit, but they will do like ten damage to big mm-hmm. units. And the big units have a like one percent chance to hit anything. So you have to really. preserve all of your most powerful spells as much as possible and some units you just straight up can't hit and it's practically impossible (laughs) like you have to fight uh master asia from g gundam a whole bunch of times and you just cannot hit him you cannot hit hit him it's a nightmare (laughs) (laughs) he's all buttery it's also a very slow game and uh yeah so i wouldn't recommend a portable actually Continuing on to actual comments about 2019, Sammy J9 says, I think that overall 2019 will be even better than 2018 for gaming, although I may be a little biased as someone who's primarily a fan of RPGs, Soul Likes, and Nintendo games. I mean, we have Code Vein and Sekiro, maybe Neo 2, ton of Fire Emblem, uh, Nintendo games like Fire Emblem, Pokemon, Animal Crossing, Yoshi, a lot more, RPGs like KH3, Outer Worlds, Town, Bloodstained. And a lot of ports of games that never got around to playing, like Tales of Vesperia and the Trails of Cold Steel games. Man, we didn't even talk about Trails of Cold Steel being out on Switch. I feel like uh, completely oh. remiss, Nadia. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, everyone. I felt uh, I knew that was going to be on my list. That's what I get for not putting together a proper outline for this episode. <laughs> but How dare you? Really quickly, Nadia. Trails of Vesperia out on the Switch. Do you have any opinions on this game? Uh, no, I'll be playing it. Uh, I think Mike is sending it my way. Uh, he said something about like uh, fixing his car and sending it to me. So I did some <laughs> the, research the on Tales of Vesperia before this episode because I intended to talk about it. Uh, it's held in very high esteem by the community. I thought that it was always going to be like kind of below Symphonia and maybe a couple of the others. But no, it's consistently ranked as the best one. Uh, oh, that's good because I'm actually looking forward to it. I have not played a Tales game since I played a fan translation of Fantasia. Yeah, uh, I watched a, a review, and the reviewer was going basically, hey, did you play Octopath Traveler? You may end up liking Vesperia. And I'm like, you, I think you might be wrong, actually, because it's <laughs> a somewhat different game. Uh, for one thing, Vesperia has the action-oriented comment rather than mm-hmm. straight turn-based. But yeah, it's a, a very classical JRPG, and it still looks really nice on the Nintendo Switch. It's a perfect fit for the system. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, and most people really like Tales of Vesperia because it has a good story and a really strong cast. They really like the interactions of the cast in, in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, The Tales games as a whole, I think they're kind of an acquired taste. 
Uh, but you know, like, uh, I think that they're never bad. They're, yeah, their their ceiling is very their their ceiling is fairly low, but their floor is very high as right, a series. Right. So, like, you know what you're gonna get. Uh, it's never gonna blow your mind or anything. But by the time you're done, you're like, that was fun. That was very nice. I had a yeah. Good time. It sounds a lot like uh like the E series, frankly. Like even though I think Eight was a really really fantastic game, I think in general. Uh, the ease games are just really good, solid RPGs, and I, I, when I'm done, I really enjoy my time with them. Uh, Drakmalia says, every time I'm reminded about Outer Worlds, I get a wave of excitement. Honestly, I don't mind that their games can be buggy. It's worth the trade-off. It's easily my most anticipated RPG this year, unless Cyberpunk somehow comes out in 2019. Yeah, Outer Worlds uh, looks amazing. It's KOTOR. Please, God, don't let it be too buggy. It's totally going to be too buggy. But, I mean, Tim <laughs> Kane, you know? <laughs> Tim Kane is uh, going to do an amazing job. Um, yeah. Max Beto says, your gals should definitely do more streams and more reports of whatever RPGs you both fancy or classics you haven't played. Uh, I mean, we may do a report this year. Uh, maybe. Yeah. You, you, did you know, for example, that it's the 20th anniversary of Final Fantasy VIII? Oh, my God. Are you going to make me play that again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I may play okay, along we with can... you. Even though it's not coming out on the Switch, grr. Yeah, um, actually, a friend of mine was uh, mentioning that on uh, the on my Facebook because another thing we forgot to mention is that Final Fantasy ten, ten two, and twelve got their Switch release date, uh, but eight is not amongst the the remakes. Even though Final Fantasy seven is coming to Switch as well, and supposedly someone lost the source code. The usual story. I, I don't know exactly, eh. but it's just what my friend was telling me. I think Uncle like, Nintendo said. I think it'll eventually make it onto the Switch, but uh, it just they can't easily get it on there like they can 7, 9, 10, 10, 2, 12, because <laughs> all of those games have received <laughs> remakes. Uh, uh, I, I got a question, Nadia. So we just got uh-huh. the uh, we just got the release date for 10 and 10, 2, actually, um, and 12, and it's going to be mm-hmm. in April. And what if you could recommend one of the games, the Final Fantasy games coming up for Switch, uh, seven, nine, ten, ten, two, or twelve. Uh, what, what would you, what would you recommend? Oh gosh, that's a that's a real Sophie's choice there. I would say <laughs> a lot would depend on what you've played versus what you haven't played. For example, I had not played twelve until very recently with the the Zodiac Age remake, and I I really enjoyed it very much. I, in fact, I'm planning to play it again on the Switch. I would say if you have not played twelve, and there's a good chance you haven't, uh, especially the Zodiac Age, I would definitely go for twelve. I think that if you, I, I think that you should stick with twelve. Um, you should play the HD, the super nice HD version that came out on the PS4, if you can. Is that not the version the Switch is getting? I mean, it is, but oh, okay. Uh, that game was in 4K, if I recall correctly. And oh, really? Yeah, they did a really phenomenal job with uh, it. The did graphics. look great. Yeah. So, uh, ten and ten two, I think, are an easier sell on the Nintendo Switch, but who knows? Like, uh, if the ports are good, I think both of them are really solid choices. I think 10 is a kind of a slow game, actually. <laughs> At yeah, least by I, today's uh, standards. I really should make that a, a point to finally freaking play it. I need to see if you can, if there's a fast-forward option in 10, like you have in 7. <laughs> yeah. So it went, uh, was it 7? I know 9 had one. That was a godsend at times. God, how did I, how did I deal with these games that were so slow? I think it's because I didn't have smartphones at the time, so I wasn't being constantly engaged. If I had, yeah, if I turned yeah, off my we video were... game, I just had to sit quietly. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, we had to sit quietly and watch the cutscenes, damn it. <laughs> you know what I would do when I was playing Final Fantasy VIII? I think I mentioned this. I would flip over to my TV and watch uh, whatever was on TV while I was uh, busy drawing spells. Really? Yeah. <laughs> So you would be playing on your TV, okay, and then you'd switch the the inputs to just to yeah to the TV. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's what I would be doing back then. And uh, it, I mean, I, I guess that was the late '90s, early 2000s equivalent of I don't know, um, checking your smartphone, your smartphone. At, yeah. absently while waiting for like a loading screen to go through. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, nice guy Neon says, if Sekiro is an RPG, that's going to be the best of the year. And if it isn't an RPG, then I don't need RPGs this year. And I said, Ouch. I have bad news for you. It's not an RPG. <laughs> <laughs> is that the um, the Souls game? Souls-like? It's not a Souls not game. Not Souls-like. It, it, but, okay. it, it's, it's more it's like from Kenshu, software. Which, okay, it's, yeah. it's an action game. A really cool action right. game. An excellent action game. But they very deliberately downplayed the RPG elements. And 
Of course. It kicked my ass so hard. <laughs> um, and that, But the Night Sky Neon says, then I don't need RPGs in 2019. Except for the Outer Worlds, Disco Elysium, Persona 5 port, that copy of Divinity Original Sin 2 I bought during the winter sale. Other than that, all of that, I don't need RPGs anymore. And maybe Yakuza 0, if there's an RPG ever since I bought that over the winter too. But other than those, I am committed to this FromSoft lifestyle. <laughs> Good for you. I, I can appreciate that. I respect that. Uh, my RPG at the moment is Stardew Valley and FIFA. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I said, I'm playing Fantasy Star 4. Uh, I'm also playing the new uh, Monster uh, Monster World, Monster Boy, whatever you want to yeah. call it. The new, uh, which isn't an RPG, but it's still pretty great. I was talking to Hiran, who is um, our guides writer, the other day, and I was like, Hiran, we need to get back into Monster Hunter World. Um, I want to go fight the great, the greatest Jagras. The greatest Jagras. Yes, I'm really excited by that. That's uh, he looks like a pretty boss monster. And meanwhile, they're putting Geralt in there. <laughs> that's right. Yes. And I'm just like, oh man. Uh, okay, so you can be able to fight with Geralt alongside Dante. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be pretty great. It's fun. It's really great to see Capcom just having a good time with this series. I think it's so weird that CD Projekt Red is like, yeah, whatever. Put Geralt in uh, Soul Calibur. Put Geralt in Monster Hunter. I mean, does the author of the books find that weird? I think he's, he, well, if I'm not mistaken, he signed a contract. He got what he got for, in terms of profits, and he asked for more, and they're like, hell no. So he has to sit there and take it as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> all right so like yeah we're gonna put your game uh you're just gonna put Geralt on everything now we're gonna put him on boxes of ramen we're gonna put him in fire emblem <laughs> heroes for some reason he's, he's just gonna be everywhere now he's gonna be on cereal boxes eat your wheaties axel blood god is a u.s gamer podcast you can find us on itunes stitcher spotify wherever podcasts yeah. are sold make sure to subscribe us if you're enjoying the podcast review us yeah and one more time our social media at Naughty Oxford, I'm at the underscore catbot, and follow us on all of the things at US Gamer Net. We're going to keep continuing on with the Top 25 RPG Countdown. We're going to finish this sucker off, Nadia. It's, yes. it's time. We're in the top 10 now. Um, so we're going to continue on with that next week. And in the meantime, we've got a huge redesign for the site coming next Wednesday. Uh, yes. Woo. It's very exciting. I uh, love it. I, I think it's kind of the equivalent of when a sports team finally moves into their brand new stadium and you're like, ooh, wow, look at all these cool amenities and everything. And it feels like a new era for that team. Well, it's kind of like that with U.S. gamers. So Yeah, it's like, you know, hey, that crazy thing isn't living under the toilet anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's, uh, no more crazy things under the toilet on our website. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week. And until then, I've been Cap Bailey and Fernandia and myself. Thanks for listening. Happy adventuring. <laughs>